Hello and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and distance learners. <laughs> I'm your user experience distance learner, Roman Burkott. Joining me today is Larry King. Larry, how's it going? I'm doing great. Doing great. As much as we want to be optimistic, today's topic is likely going to trigger anyone with a child in their life. I was going to say parents, but really anybody who cares for a child, who loves a child of of any sort, uh, because today we're talking about the user experience of online learning. Oh, or if you have three childs that you love and care for. Oh, well, let's start there. <laughs> let's let's set up the situation here. Um, you know, I I have one child doing uh, school at home during the pandemic. You have three. That is correct. Three. Uh, we have a second grader, a fifth grader, and a uh, what is that other one in seventh grade? Yes. <laughs> so seven, ten, and twelve years old, and uh, all doing distance learning since that fateful uh, Friday in March when they uh, closed down the schools, um, and. We have also opted into distance learning ever since there is a one point where they were like, well, we're going to do hybrid, some hybrid, and, and you can opt into hybrid or distance. We've uh, opted our children into distance every time, um, knowing the behaviors of Americans and how well they uh, self-regulate themselves in such situations. Right. Just a normal school year. Your kids are getting at least three head colds before Christmas. Yes. Yes. So you've got three kids doing uh, distance learning at home. Suddenly, this is yep. not something that had been uh, planned or that was part of their repertoire uh, prior to this. If we took a look at it from a, a UX point of view, um, the teachers that are teaching our children are trained and have experience teaching children in face-to-face classrooms. And, you know, a lot of them are really, really good at that and they do a bang up job. And I think, um, you know, applause to all the teachers who've been, you know, trying to do their best in this situation for sure. Um, Because this is not easy and it's almost like, you know, you know, think about us as a, as a UX designer, you know, having to do UX design, but now we can't use any of the tools that we're normally used to using. Like you, all of a sudden now you can't do, you know, you can't use wireframes or you can't do a design. You just have to describe the design to the, to the developer using, you know, just words and that's it. And that, that's all you can do. Right. Right. And you don't get, and you don't get to see what, what, what his output is. Right. You know, stuff like that. It's like, you just completely don't have the tools that you had before. And so now you have to find different ways to achieve the same results. Um, And it's not something that's, you know, you can't just take what you did in a face-to-face situation and do the exact same thing online. Um, I actually, one of my first UX jobs was at an online university where I had to help these professors who like been, you know, they've been professors for long periods of time, but they were, you know, professors in face-to-face situations. And now they were teaching in online schools and they were trying to do the exact same, you know, things that they were doing face-to-face in online situations and it just doesn't work. And so one of our jobs was to help them translate their 
their learning curriculum into online forms that made sense in more asynchronous um, environments as opposed to those synchronous environments um, that they were used to. So I, I understand yeah. that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, that side of it, I understand that it's like, it's a very difficult thing to just like turn on a dime and now you're teaching online and being, and just, you know, having, turning on a dime and being as effective as you were in a face-to-face -face situation. It's just, it's, it's just not, it's just not reasonable. Yeah. I think you were setting it up well and bears repeating. I think that we're definitely not bagging on the teachers. Although I have observed some very troubling interactions between my kid and his teachers via these, these Zoom classes. Um, but I have to chalk that up to we're all stressed. We, it, it sucks for everybody. But to be clear, this show is not about the teachers. This is about the tools used to teach at distance learning. Absolutely. So. I think we've discussed it on the show before. I am a graduate of a prestigious online learning institution that is uh, very well known. Well, it's very well known. I don't know about prestigious, but it's very well known. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, you know, point being, I, you know, as an adult, have had a lot of online learning opportunities. So uh, what I'm re referencing there is I went to University of Phoenix and studied business. And the education, you know, uh, experience was satisfactory because I am somebody who can learn by reading a book. I recognize that probably most folks are not wired that way, or we're certainly not trained to be wired that way. We are trained to sit in a classroom with, you know, 30 to 60 other kids and, you know, try to squeeze some learning out of the part of class that isn't about taking attendance or enforcing a dress code. You know, we, we basically get taught to learn by listening to somebody ramble on, um, you know, talk at us. <laughs> and then all of a sudden uh, we're asking everybody to just now do this online. So how'd that transition go for you? Um, well, um, <laughs> so when your kids are at school, you don't see them for hours at a time. I mean, it's, you know, mm -hmm, you drop mm -hmm. them off at, you know, 745, you pick them up at 230 and you don't see them the whole time. And you're just assuming it's like, oh, they're learning the whole time. They're doing stuff, school stuff. <clears throat> so now we do distance learning and it's, I'll tell you one thing that's the same is getting them up and getting them to school on time is still <laughs> a complete pain yeah. in the ass. <laughs> that, that part did not change. And we don't even have to like go anywhere. We don't have to like get a bus or walk to school or drive to school or anything. It's just getting them out of bed getting some food in them and putting them, plopping them in front of their Chromebook in time for mm -hmm. the announcements to start. Like that's, that has not changed. But what's interesting is I like, okay, you know, so they have an hour and a half of being, you know, in a zoom esque meeting and then kids walking down, now he's watching TV. I'm like, interesting. It's like, you're watching TV. Isn't it school time? And it's like, oh, we're done. I did my, I did my work. And you know, half the time that's true. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> I just yeah. don't know which half yeah. it is because I'm also working. Um, so yeah, it's been it's 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 been interesting. With my oldest, she's fine. I we don't have to worry about her. She just I, I never see her all day. I get report cards and she has all A's and A pluses. So I'm like, oh, she must be doing stuff. Um, the other two, the other, the other younger ones, that's uh, that's a little more of a have to make sure have to get on and make sure that they're showing up on time for the times because they have to they don't have teachers and stuff to say okay it's time to start this next thing it's like uh yeah don't you have something at 10 10 um that you have to get on <laughs> and i'm of course i'm at work so and my wife's at work at home but we still have to like make sure that they get to their things which is uh sometimes sometimes doesn't happen that was one of the biggest surprises to me was as soon as we were moving to distance learning, I immediately signed up for all these, you know, parent portals. And then within, you know, hours of the first day, <laughs> I quickly realized, you know, what do you mean he missed a class? You know, he just didn't sign on for the class. How did he not sign up for the class? Surely Alexa was paying attention to that Alexa stuff. Uh, <laughs> I got to remember to unplug that thing out of here. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I assume he's got alerts that he's going to get a notice when it's time to join his call and all that. And none of that was handled. We both have mm -hmm. office tools that allow us to communicate with the people we work with, right? I can mm -hmm. send an email to somebody I work with. I can get on a, you know, Teams chat or Slack or whatever you're, you know, you have at your organization. I can, you know ping somebody on there and start talking to them. I can, you know, share things with them, interact with them in some ways, but yet there seems to be no way for my kids to interact with anybody in their class, including the teacher and let, except through email, they can send their teacher an email, but there's no chat other than when they're in the Google meet um, session, right. There's a chat there and then, you know, and that's the only time that they, I can see that they actually interact with the other people in their class. They can't chat with them. They can't send emails to them. They can't do any of this other stuff, which is really, I, I think is one of the most surprising things for me when it, when it came to distance learning with the, with, with the kids. Cause like part of the educational experience is interacting, not with just the teacher. It's not just the teacher, like giving you information. It's like, interacting with the kids that are around you and the tools that they've given our kids for this distance learning situation has no way to do that. There's no way to interact. Yeah, I agree. My son's school, even before the pandemic started, was planning to migrate from Google to Microsoft Teams, uh, or really just to uh, Office 365 in general. Right. So all, all the uh, the email client would be replaced from Gmail to Outlook and so on. And that went badly during the break between, you know, before the semester started. So they undid it and said, never mind, we'll handle this later. And then the pandemic started. And so everything just kind of proceeded with um, the Google, um, really the G Suite. So I don't know if this was Google Classroom specifically. I know notionally Google has classroom software stuff. I don't know that that was involved in this or if it was just kind of the typical G Suite um, or now Google Workspace uh, set of tools. 
But then halfway through the semester, they decided, okay, we're going to finish that Microsoft migration. And so now everybody's going to have to, you know, come back from the weekend and you're going to have two email accounts. And because of Microsoft's best practice approach to identity, your email address is not going to be your name at school.com. It's going to be xy493f2 at school.com and everybody's just supposed to figure it out and so yeah the the transition over to teams was brutal because you know as as clear as the the google solution neither of these was designed with school kids in mind whatsoever i know microsoft was real early to the party to celebrate how you know teams is enabling classrooms to survive in the pandemic maybe technically okay, but it certainly wasn't, you know, a, a tool that was uh, custom built for the today's modern school environment. Oh yeah. That, <clears throat> yeah. That's going to get me into another tangent of things of use tool forcing use cases into tools that exist as opposed to having tools that ah. actually support the use case <laughs> you're trying to do. Uh, right. But that's, that's all that it, that is something that's global to not just uh, online learning, but also uh, I'd say uh, professional environments as well. If you look at the way people use uh, PowerPoint and um, some extent Excel too <laughs> for yeah. the things that they get used for. I'll jump to the, the the bottom line torture that we ran into was after this migration, <laughs> my son would have to log into Teams to go to the classroom for the class to get the link to the Zoom meeting that the teacher had already set up on the Google stuff and wasn't willing to change mid-semester. So he had to use both both solutions at the same time because they decided to roll it out mid-semester. Yeah. Sounds like a sounds like a poorly run uh, corporate merger there. It's like, oh, now you're yeah, going right. to here's your new email address, here's your new financial <laughs> right. application, here's your new timekeeping thing but you have to do it in two systems for a while until we you know <laughs> right. until we finish the the financial transaction i watched my daughter like log in every day and the number of steps so you know i talked about like getting the kids ready just you know that you know being just as bad as it was when we actually had to go take them somewhere to go to school um but getting them to get into the computer is like you know, it's, it's not like, oh, they just open it up and there it is. It's like, I have, to, she has mm -hmm. to log into the laptop, the, the Chromebook, yep. then she has to lo log into her um, school portal. And then once mm -hmm. she gets in the school portal, she may or may not be logged into Google Classroom or the other application they're using on top of Google Class, because they're not using Google Classroom, but they're using Google Meet and Google Sheets and Google Docs mm -hmm. and all that stuff, but they're not using Google Classroom anymore because they've moved to this new thing called Schoology. Oh, you can tell by the name. <laughs> well, I, I thought when I first saw it, it was school Schoology. But no, 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 no. It's it's Schoology. <laughs> and this is the thing where their classroom is. And um, so they have to, so there's like the, all these steps. And then, you know, the, the very first thing that they have is a Google Meet, right? Because that's where the announcements are and everybody in their classes is on there and stuff. And so 
it, it's literally like seven steps just for her to go from opening her Chromebook to actually getting into the thing that she does every single day. Um, mm -hmm. just, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just the, just the basic report to class in the morning is already painful. Um, my son had to wait until the instructor actually triggered the class. So even though it's at the same day of the week, same time every day, he had to wait in the, uh, yeah, the G chat for the link to actually start the meeting, which would launch out to zoom. But by far the worst to me was watching him try to use his textbooks. So there's not a lot of these systems that I can uh, pinpoint by name, but one of them that I can definitely tell you about is Pearson. Um, everything about this system was designed for protecting their precious intellectual property mm. of seventh grade textbooks. So my son has to, you know, log into the machine, log into the school site, log into whatever else. Then he has to go through these portals because there's no direct login to his textbook software portal. He has to go through his school stuff, log in, and then navigate down, you know, from like, oh, here's the, the landing page for every textbook we've ever written, <laughs> most of which you're not using for your seventh grade curriculum. Find the correct book, open that. Each page, like every time he clicks something, it launches in a new freaking tab. Oh, my God. And then a super aggressive timeout to make sure, again, oh, you haven't flipped a page in two minutes. We're going to log you out because we wouldn't want somebody stealing our freaking seventh grade uh, textbook. I'm getting heated over here. But <laughs> let's just say that. Everything about that design was aimed at, you know, how do we make sure that nobody can pirate our textbooks rather than is this going to, you know, be usable by the student? Is like seventh grade textbook piracy like a big thing? Like our school systems like <laughs> trying to use right. this content for free somewhere? <laughs> Uh, American seventh grade textbooks are huge in China. You know, they're just pirating them, oh, yeah. trading them around. Mm -hmm. Oh man, you got, <laughs> oh, you got fifth edition. <laughs> I got fifth edition revised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's a great example where the, the experience falls down based off of them optimizing for something else. You know, what, what should have been, you know, a, a nice single sign on experience where, oh, you go to the school portal and then it lets you into your textbooks automatically. Instead, it just it becomes really painful because there's no way to just bookmark the textbook site and go straight to it. Likewise, there is no way to deep link to a particular page of a textbook. So he couldn't like say, oh, I've read half of this assignment and now I got to come back to it, you know, later on. And of course, none of these things will print properly. So we would try to run off, you know, hard copy prints so that we didn't have to mess with all that. And no, no, those aren't going to come out of the printer, you know, the, <laughs> the the way it's laid out or any kind of sensible format. Things like that are designed for the corporation, not for, for the, the, the kids. And then, of course, it's, you know, enterprise software. So, you know, the people actually using it don't have a say in anything. They just get stuck with the terrible experiences that were created by the incentives of whatever 
the incentives were for that particular corporation, which in Pearson's case was, oh, we can't have people stealing our stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, and then so, the people so, using it are the people that suffer. I think part of this is the tool sets aren't there. And part of it is maybe the teachers haven't been, you know, shown a better way of doing things. Like for instance, um, a lot of some of my kids math assignments are done on a Google slide. It's a, so this is a, you know, equivalent to PowerPoint. It is a tool to make presentations, but since it's the only thing that the, the teachers think that they have to be able to, put text and pictures and stuff on a page in the way that they want to. Now we have to use that to create quizzes. And so the kid has to figure out how to like put a number on the page using PowerPoint in the spot on the slide where the teacher wants you to put the answers. Like this is a presentation software. This isn't software to create quizzes. Why don't the teachers have software to create quizzes? Now, I think there's ways to do that if you do Google Sheets and the Google Forms and you can have a form that fills out a, a Google Sheet. Um, or if you're in Teams, they have, you know, Microsoft has Microsoft Forms where you can like basically create the same thing would be a test. It's just a quiz. You know, you can create a form with input fields and, you know, text areas and radio buttons and check boxes and all that type of stuff and, and get input from kids and be able to make a real test. But instead, my kids have to do it in a Google Sheet or whatever it is, Google Slides. I can't remember which ones is which. Um, that's confusing. You know, they, they they all have the same logo now too. So I can't, you know, you can't even pick the right thing anymore. But, you know, just, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, being able to like turn that in and know that you turned it in <laughs> and figure it out whether there's just, it's just using these tools oh, yeah. in, a, in a weird way. Like we've had these problems with our kids. It's like, they thought they turned it in, but they didn't like, they have this thing that says when they turn things in or, you know, what's, what's due and what's coming um, up. But once they turn mm -hmm. something in, you can't see what the contents of the thing that they turned in anymore. And it's, it, and you know, there's been so many times where our kids have like swore they turned it, they did this work and turned it in. And the teacher's saying, no, they didn't. And some, and I like, I'm going to go back to this half the time, that's true. And half the times it isn't. And you never know when, when that is. And so that's really frustrating as a parent because we have a oh, view yeah. that we can go into school G and see stuff that is in our kids classroom, but we can't see everything. We can't see their assignments. We can't see the things, you know, whether they've turned things in or not. We can't see a, a single place where their schedule is. My wife had this problem. It's like, she's like, we're, we have three kids. Two of them, we have to f make sure that they get to the to the right places at the right time and online. And there's no one place where a schedule is, like for each kid. It's like I I can't right. go in and say for my youngest daughter, here is her schedule for the entire week and when she has to be online at any time. Th that doesn't exist. And so as a parent, it's really frustrating because you don't know what the truth is <laughs> at any point in time of like what they're supposed to be doing or when they're supposed to be online. And it's yeah, it's it it's it, it, stressful honestly um as, as a parent it really is yeah as a parent that was the thing i i didn't really anticipate i knew it was going to be hard for my son to adapt um especially given his adhd i knew that doing school at home uh, online was going to be a, a big challenge to begin with but then like just for things to be so much harder every little thing to be hard I, I can sympathize with what you're talking about because 
I could never at any point say, oh, here's what's due and here's what it's due on. We had issues where it, the system says it's due at you know midnight on the day of the class, and then the teacher is like, well, no, I needed it before the class so that I you know so that we would have that graded so that we could discuss it you know during the class session. I was like, well, that's not what the system said. Well, that's what I want. So now we have to you know mm, do the math on every single assignment, turn it in a day early just to be sure because we don't know when it's actually due. If I had a dollar for every time I said, you know, where's the syllabus? I mean, <laughs> even University of Phoenix, if I could count on one thing, day one, here's your syllabus. Here's every assignment and when it's due. How can these teachers not have that? And again, I, I don't blame the teachers. The tools are really bad, but I would have expected, yeah, here's a supplemental Word doc in the email because, you know, all the systems are terrible. But here's the single page view for this class, at least, when all the stuff has to be done. Yep. I, I doesn't seem like it would be that uh, hard. So I, I, I have to admit, I thought about earlier this year, could I pitch myself to the the county school system as a usability consultant for them doing distance learning? So that we could like straighten out some of this stuff, because I don't think there is an understanding that some of this stuff is even a problem, right? Like if I think about, you know, from being a UX practitioner and all of the things that you discover in user research that we didn't know before and how valuable that information is. I think there's like a plethora of this information because now I'm a parent and I'm actually experiencing the pain. I'm, you know, would be the, the, the participant in this user research. And there's all this, these problems that we have, you know, there's a problem like if you have three kids, right? Because um, when you only have one kid, that's one thing. And there's a set of problems there, but then you have two other kids and one of them goes to a, a different school. My experience is not, is is a singular experience, but they're thinking about it in terms of, well, this person's in this school and with this te these set of teachers and these other two kids are in this different classroom with these other teachers and they th only think about the, their problems in their own little classroom. But like, mm -hmm. there's like a whole experience here as a parent that isn't even being, you know, even being addressed or th I think thought about, or they just don't have the information to make good decisions about this. I can see where most of the public schools are just going to try to go back to the way things were and, you know, kind of shift the burden back to the parents of, hey, look, get your kid vaccinated or just don't come to school. But we're not dealing with all this online baloney anymore. Yep. Uh, to me, the, the problem is very much rooted in, like you said, the, the tools were not good to begin with. And then. Again, to the, the credit of educators everywhere, everybody had to pivot into this new model literally within the span of weeks. Yep. So you've gone from fully in-person, you know, uh, which all respected teachers, especially in public schools who are already dealing with, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 kids all at the same time in person. But now take the same class and put them online and make sure they get a quality education when you've never been trained for any of this, you don't know the the systems that sucked in the first place. But even if they were good, 
they'd be kicking your butt, you know, it, it, it would be hard. Yeah. I think they also made it harder on themselves by planning for do two different models, um, uh, f- for education. Oh yeah. Right. Cause like the hybrid, thing. cause they got that. It was like, well, we're going to get some kids in class, but we're going to leave it option to do full distance. And so then now they had to split their efforts on figuring out distance learning, but also with this hybrid model. And if they would have just said, we're just going to do all distance until it's safe to actually have kids in school again, I think it would have been better because they they could have focused all their efforts on, you know, what, how to make distance learning better. It makes sense from the parents' perspective. I know that there's a lot of families where, you know, having the student not be at the school during the day uh, makes it hard, if not impossible, to work. Yep. And, you know, I, I feel for them. Um, but like you said, by trying to accommodate a dual mode uh, thing, you know, <laughs> One of the schools around here, you know, they they had gotten the um, a, a rush job on these iPad laden robots that can be remote <laughs> controlled and drive around and you know try to get the the teacher in view. My wife and I are in a very lucky position where we can both work from home and not really disrupt our 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 jobs in any way whatsoever. And having kids at home is something that we can do. Um, not everybody is in that situation. So I, I, I understand why they do have to do, you know, why the hybrid thing was important as well. You know, Phil Donahue struggled to occupy the guests on the stage, the questions from the audience and the caller on the phone. Caller, are you there? <laughs> you know, imagine trying to do this with seventh grade algebra. <laughs> you know, Looks like Jimmy's got a question. <laughs> Phil Donahue, that's a deep cut, man. Wow. We've been at great pains to say, you know, we, we don't want to come off as criticizing the teachers unduly or even the educational systems. Um, but I, I do also kind of sense a, a parallel. Um, I, I think a lot of the pains that we're trying to, to, to push through here come from a rush to just make something work, anything work. So use the tools you've got or whatever can be quickly acquired and implemented and just go just, you know, school's already in session before the pandemic even really takes off. So we've got to adapt really, really, really fast. And the thing it reminded me most of in, you know, recent history was um, the launch of the uh, Obamacare um, insurance plan exchange, right? Congress makes these bizarre, elaborate, you know, crazy system for healthcare and how you're going to shop for it online and now it's up to companies and states to rapidly figure out how to build the best online insurance shopping experience you could possibly have like uh, of course you know that was going to go badly but looking at the parallel I think that was the moment when a lot of great designers actually jumped into public service. They started uh, working on that problem and other uh, government systems. And so I would like to to hope, you know, being optimistic for 2021, that a lot of designers are, are thinking along the same lines that, that you were in terms of, hmm, maybe there's a big opportunity for us to overhaul some of these uh, learning management systems, these school replacement systems. And actually make them not just a, a band-aid for what we're going to do while we're in a pandemic, but actually turn it into, uh, you know, potentially a, a preferred method of uh, teaching students. Yeah, I think um, I think there is room for distance learning in in primary education. I think there's probably an age limit 
um, that where it becomes um, less effective and, and being in person is better. But I think there, I, I think you can do a lot with distance learning. I think um, it is a different animal. I think it is, it has to be approached in a different way. And I think that's, you know, something they can't just flip a switch in March and, and start doing. Um, you can't even, you know, flip a switch and in a year's time, you know, have mm -hmm. your in-person learning and your distance learning being, being equal um, outcomes. I, it, it's, you know, it's something that's going to, would take a long time to, to actually get schools to do that. But I think there's, there's ways you can definitely do that. And if you, you know, use design approaches where you actually understand the problem, you do research with the, with the audiences that are using these products and looking and focus on outcomes um, and, you know, do, yeah. des, you know, design for those outcomes and iterate to make sure you're getting those outcomes. Um, it, it, I think it's a, it's a design problem ultimately. And if you apply design techniques to it, you can make that pro you can fix those problems and, and, and do that. It's just, it's always comes down to, is there a business need? Is there, um, you know, a business driver for it? And, 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 you know, that's, that's where the rub usually ends up. Well, certainly what's been frustrating for me is that I have seen it done well. So again, I like to bag on University of Phoenix just because it's fun. They are not a sponsor, by the, the way. <laughs> they are not paying for this endorsement either, especially since it's not much of an endorsement. But after that, I went on to study at Harvard Business School online, who actually has cracked this nut quite competently and did apply those uh, design thinking approaches, did the research, found out what are the most effective ways of doing this. And I can tell you those HBS online classes, they even have a platform that they custom built to uh, replicate the, uh, the Harvard case uh, floor where they do the case studies and the professor will call on you on a spot um, usually when you're not ready and demand <laughs> an answer off the top of your head, they actually recreated that. And, um, it's very technology heavy. If you attend one of those sessions, you, you know, each participant has to connect to a VPN. They have a producer who talks to each participant ahead of the start time to make sure that your sound is good and to actually warm people up wow. and get them talking. Yeah, they, they treat it like a television show mm -hmm. because essentially that's, that's what, it is. what it takes yep. to do something really smooth. And um, that experience was phenomenal. So I saw a technical demo of something the other day that I thought was actually really compelling and um, it seems really small until you experience it. And it was a plug-in for spatial audio in a Zoom meeting, right? So you've got you know, you think of, you know, you're in a Zoom meeting, and you've got this grid of like six people, right? And when everybody's talking all at once, you have, you know, in Zoom today, you have head, even if you have headphones on, you just hear a mono sound and everybody's, everybody's voice is coming from this, you know, right in front of you. And if multiple people are talking at the same time, it just turns into cacophony and it's very hard to understand what's going on because people are talking over each other. But this spatial audio made it sound like, the person in the top right was coming from the top right. And the person from the top left is coming from the top left in the stereo field. And the person from mm. the, the, the bottom right was coming from the bottom right in the stereo and not in just the stereo field, but like really kind of that Dolby Atmos 
complete surround sound where you can you can sure. even get um, spatial audio for um, uh, above and below. And so wow. when people talked, they were coming from where it looked like they were in that grid of people in the Zoom meeting. And so even when people were talking at the same time, it wasn't unintelligible because when pe- multiple people are talking at the same time in a room, you can still understand what both people are saying. So it was a much more natural environment and, and was a lot, it, it seemed a lot easier for the, your, my brain to like understand what was going on when you had a bunch of people in a meeting talking. It's funny how just the little things can go so far. One of my big gripes about all the video conferencing systems is the way as people come in and out and go on camera and off camera, it reshuffles the participant list. And so if I'm trying to do like a basic stand-up meeting and go one at a time through the list of people and say, you're next and you're next and you're next, problem is those people move every few seconds. Um, I know uh, Teams is trying to do something with what they call their together mode. Oh God, that is so dumb. It's so dumb. (laughs) Why? Who, who spent cycles on that? Cause it is dumb, dumb, dumb. It's so much less effective (laughs) than just a standard grid. Um, but, you know, the same principles could apply, like, okay, whether it's trying to make us look like we're in a, a theater uh, sitting in seats or whether we're just in our Brady Bunch grid, uh, you know, the the main point being put people in a notional place and then make it easier to interact with them. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because, like, I'm looking at like an audience of people and. You know, the person up here in the top right row is talking to the person in the bottom here in the, the bottom left row, and they're just like looking at me because <laughs> they're looking forward. Right. It makes no sense. <laughs> well, I think Facebook would say that uh, VR is the the answer to all these problems. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, to try to be true to the promise at the beginning of the show, that we don't just want to vent and uh, bag on how bad these experiences are. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, are there some maybe top of mind items for if if there's designers who already are working on education systems, uh, what are those low hanging fruit that, uh, you know, if we did go down to the school board meeting, we could uh, raise a stink about and say, you've got to fix SSO. Well, I think that I think SSO is part of it. <laughs> Single sign on <laughs> is like the number one thing. Um, the problem is like they have all these third parties things that like sometimes they have to like log in with the teacher's login. It's, it's all messed up. But I think like single sign on a robust single sign on is number one. I think number two is like there has to be these I think these learning pla- these learning management platforms are so open that teachers can do things any way they want to, and that causes lots of problems. And I think there needs to be more. Um, uh, I think the the software means a little more opinionated about how you structure things, while you know giving teachers flexibility to you know the flexibility when they need the flexibility, but having a certain amount of structure that they have to work within will make those experiences better. Like, you know, we work with the same thing with, um, and I work in a company that has, um, grown through acquisition and has lots of different, um, uh, products that all have to look like our company products, but they were made by different companies at different times. And now they've all come together. And so we're going through a process now of like having this common information architecture where we can like, 
we're not going to have the exact same information architecture on every single um, um, application, but we're like making it look appear to be like it's the same, you know, application. So if I go to one application, if I'm a customer of that has both applications, I can at least, you know, expect to find certain things in certain places um, that are that are equivalent in each of those. And I think um, learning management software has to have some opinion about how this, the structure of things like 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 a syllabus, for example, <laughs> maybe maybe have a syllabus that seems like it would be a good thing to have. It's like, here are all the things that you're going to do in this class this year. And here is all the assignments you're going to have to do. And here's the due dates for them. And here's the learning outcomes. And here's the rubrics for success and all that stuff. That'd be good for me as a parent for, so I can understand what my kids are actually going to do as opposed to this, this, you know, piecemeal information through, um, you know, emails every once in a while. I, I want to start a, uh- K through 12 online school that runs on Trello. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's a Kanban board. (laughs) Right. Here's something I could actually make sense of. Here's all the assignments. They start in this column. And by the end of the semester, they got to be in that column. And that's how you know they're done because they're in that column. And I can go into it. I can actually click into it and look at it. (laughs) Right. Get the details, see what's changed and so on. And. And much like a real project, you know, it's fixed time, fixed scope, fixed budget. (laughs) (laughs) Here's all the work we got to do by the end of the semester. (laughs) Oh, 2020. Yeah. So fix SSO. I think that's low hanging (laughs) fruit. I think the the syllabus thing with or without good tools, uh, you know, being well designed to fit the task at hand. I just, I think at a, you know, a school by school, grade by grade level, if you could, you know, just get all the teachers in the room together to say, here is how we are going to set up the assignments. Here's how we'll know when they're done. Here's our definition of turned in, because much like in the corporate world, that has a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of daylight between different people's ideas. Uh, you know, just, oh, yeah, it's 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 finished when it's turned in. No, it's finished when it's graded. There is something fundamental about how we run things as adults and how kids consume things online today, right? We are trying to fit them into the models that we are familiar with, as opposed to teaching in the models that the kids are familiar with. The kids text, the kids use SMS, they use Snapchat. They're on like, they're, you know, playing Roblox and Minecraft and are in um, and are looking at TikTok all day. If they can make education in those formats in some way, like if like the kids were could run around at all in Roblox and like a Roblox world and interact that way in class for some parts of it for certain things, kids would be like be really, really engaged in that. Um, same thing right. with like a Minecraft world, or if they had some sort of, you know, way to like commu- interact with each other in their classrooms, which they don't have now, except when they're having their Google meet and that's the only time they ever get to interact. And that's usually the teacher just talking to them, find ways to like, you know, match the way that they're interacting online now and, and, and put education into that. I think we would have a lot better outcomes. We'd have a lot more engagement with the kids and, you know, I just think it would be better all around. 
Well, you just took my suggestion for an affirmative change that you could make to make things better, and that's run the whole damn thing on Minecraft. Yep. My kid has learned more building redstone gizmos in Minecraft than he's ever learned on campus. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. Yep. But seriously, it's like those are the ways that kids are interacting online. We should bring that, that education into those modes as opposed to putting it into our old people email and video chat and, you know, the, the Zoom meetings and, 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 and Google sheets and slides and crap like that. That's, that's what us old people are familiar with. Let's bring education to the things, the, the interactions and the, 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 the paradigms that kids are familiar with and are engaged by naturally. Bring it, bring it to that level. And I think you would have a lot better outcomes. Well, and it is shocking to me that the exact same gripe I've had at work, not just recently, but for the last, whatever, you know, 15 years, you know, too many systems, too many things I have to check. You know, now uh, at work, I have, uh, in addition to Slack, which all, all Slack did was expand my email problem. Now I have stuff spread across email and Slack. And now we're doing a forced Teams, not migration, but addition. And so now I've got to check Teams and I've got to check Slack and I've got to check SharePoint and I got to check email. And, we're doing the exact same thing to kids. So I'd say don't put up with it at work or at least don't just take it laying down to see if you can't uh, at least, you know, trim, trim some of that uh, burden uh, and definitely take the same approach uh, at school uh, without being a jerk about it. Everybody's doing the best we can, but I, I often wonder if, if we just pushed gently, could we, I don't know, reduce, 20% of the pain that everybody's going through? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I'm going to end my, two tw my 2020 right there. On, on, uh, on the, the very last penultimate pessimist comment. But 2021, I'm telling you, it's going to be better. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be ponies and unicorns and Things are going to change. I can feel it. Feel it. <laughs> Stop designers love. So we're recording this just after Christmas, and uh, both of us prepared prime ribs, but only one was cooked in a science oven. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> How did yours turn out? Well, are we going to reveal whose was done in the science oven versus whose was not first or shall we leave that to the ends and we'll talk about our results first well there's no taste test here so i think we can just reveal the spoilers here so i'll say my wife has a, a technique that she found uh, in the online recipe i will try to find that for the show notes but her technique is you cook it at 500 degrees for 30 minutes, or it, it's, it's actually calculated based on the weight of the prime rib, and it's very scientifically figured outable. Um, you cook it for, but it's about a half an hour at 500 degrees, and then you shut off the oven, and you don't touch it, and you don't open it, and you just leave it alone for two solid hours, and the heat just coasts, and it cooks the whole thing through brilliantly. It's, it's very delicious. Gives you a nice crust on the outside um, with whatever the, uh, oh, she used uh, Herbe de Provence. 
And it was it was fantastic. No no complaints whatsoever. But I couldn't help thinking, surely there's an easier way. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty easy, actually. I it actually um, is. <laughs> how's the temperature gradient going from the outside to the inside? Is it like is there a gradient of gray to pink, or is it pretty For pink sure. all the yeah. way through? Tell me about that. Uh, particularly if you get a, a that nice crust going on it then you know from the from the far outside outside even the fat cap you get a nice uh black crusty bark on it from the herb de provence and butter and then as you move inward it gets to be you know kind of a a, a darker cook you know probably i wouldn't say well but then it gradates all the way inward but for the most part it's all you know a nice medium rare and even the parts that were more well done, I wouldn't consider to be bad by any means. They were quite tasty, juicy, delicious. Um, they just looked more well done. Right. Well, a primer is a big piece of meat, so there's a lot of oh, yeah. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wiggle room there with the temperature gradients. Um, so I did the cook in the Inova Science Oven. Uh, I've actually cooked a lot of prime rib in in my lifetime being a former chef um working at steak restaurants working in catering i've cooked a lot a lot of prime ribs once i got the anova sous vide wand thing so that's the thing where you stick it in a pot of water and it keeps the pot of the water at a certain temperature for you know for however long you need it and then you vacuum seal the meat or whatever thing you're cooking and put in that water. I've done that. I've done a prime rib like that before too. Um, and mm, nice. then, you know, when it's done, you have to take it out and dry it off. And then I think I took a, a, a blow torch to it to try to get the, the, mm, um, the nice. outside, a nice crispy, uh, crispy treat that didn't, that was, that was okay. You know, you got the perfect cook, you know, pink all the way through really nice, um, really nice cook there. But the the outside crispy thing wasn't it was it wasn't great. So I over the week or you know over Christmas I did it in the um, Inova science oven, um, and it actually turned out great. Uh, cooked it to a perfect 132 degrees. Took it out, patted it off with like some paper towels, and rubbed it with um, um, egg wash, like uh, egg whites, and put oh, a bunch of herbs okay. on it, and then put it back in the oven and like the highest it'll go like 470 some degrees and it got a nice crust on the outside. Not as good as when you, you know, put the raw meat in and you put it in a 500 degree oven and, 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 and toast it that way first. But, um, so I think if you, if your, if your preference is for the nice crusty outside and you're less worried about having the perfect pink all the way through, then your wife's mm -hmm. method actually is probably better. But if you're really a stickler about having the exact pink all the way through as much as possible, then um, uh, the the sous vide uh, method is probably actually pretty good. That's kind of a tough one to say because as much as the nice crust on the outside looked amazing and you know did a lot for presentation, technically speaking, uh, I'm a picky eater. I won't eat the fat cap. So basically, if it's not lean meat, I'm not really eating ah. it anyway. So probably, you know, preservation of you know, perfection for the, the actual meat itself is probably the, the primary criteria for me. I think we're pissing off all our, our vegan uh, listeners at this point. <laughs> Just going to say, <laughs> if you are not a meat eater, thanks for bearing with us as we celebrate our 
carnality. But I did make some baguettes in the 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 Anova Precision Oven over the weekend, and they turned out amazing. I've made bread in the past before, but having something that actually uses steam for the first part um, and then goes to a dry mode like halfway through, oh my God, such like really good results. Amazing bread out of that thing. I was very happy with that. You sent the picture and they really, I mean, just were visibly amazing baguette. Just really looked perfectly done. Well, we used to have French au pairs and they always made fun of all the baguettes that they ever came across here in America. So I was like really wishing I had one of my old French au pairs here to like say, hey, how about this one? Is this is this close? Um, but I, yeah, they turned out really, really good. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, you said you wanted to use the science oven to make baguette that French people wouldn't make fun of you <laughs> That's for. Right. I suspect the French could find a way to make fun of you either way. Oh, yeah. But uh, they'll, they'll make fun of you. Oh, yeah, science oven. <laughs> <laughs> they'll make fun of just how you say baguette. <laughs> right. Or how you say a science oven, for that matter. Well, uh, as far as follow-up goes, you did mention that you were having an issue with your Anova pre Precision Oven. Uh, were they able to get you straightened out? I think we talked about this last week. There was a actual crack in the water tank. Um, I fixed that temporarily with a piece of clear packing tape. Um, so it does oh. not leak from there any longer. But I still have been unsuccessful in using the oven and not getting water all over the place. <laughs> I still get water on the floor on a regular basis, which is annoying. <laughs> Glowing praise. Uh, well, it speaks to the the results that you get out of the cook that we're still willing to uh, to goof around with these things. I should also mention that this is in no way a, a paid uh, endorsement <laughs> of the Anova culinary line of kitchen gizmos. Pretty much they're the only game in town if, when it comes to uh, cooking sous vide and certainly with the with the new uh, precision oven, you know, steam oven. I think technically it's called wet bulb wet bulb is like the sensor the wet bulb sensor yeah so you're using a, a high humidity cooking technique Appar anyway, apparently so these are more prominent in like europe like it's like oh yeah you have steam oven no big deal like in america <laughs> it's like what steam cook what no larry we invented steam <laughs> cooking at the anova corporation <laughs> america yeah, so the, this is not any kind of a paid endorsement from Anova. It's just something we're enthusiastic. Likewise, last uh, episode, we said some very nice things about Rosenfeld Media and uh, Dave Maloof and Peter Merholz and Kristen Skinner. Uh, none of those were uh, paid considerations either. We just say nice things about them because uh, they have contributed to our field in significant ways. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't get paid for nothing. Yeah. Uh, yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, I asked Xa, so where is Santa Claus? What's that? Uh, Alexa, What's cancel. Alexa, stop. Bye. Yeah, didn't need all that. Wow. She's becoming like an annoying little sister. What, that's a that's a really good analogy. I mean, I don't have a sister, but uh, I can imagine. Yeah, so it's Christmas Eve. I asked the dummy where uh, where Santa is, 
And she proceeds to answer, you know, according to NORAD, Santa's leaving, you know, Oslo, uh, Norway and heading to Stockholm, whatever. Like, oh, that was great. And then she goes, while we're at it, would you like to hear a Santa joke? I'm like, sure. So she tells us a Santa joke and it was, you know, not funny, but it was okay. And then she goes, would you like to hear another one? <laughs> like, oh, well, okay. She tells it and that one's terrible. And she's like, you want to hear another one? <laughs> so I guess she really is like your annoying little sister. Like, let me tell you another one. How about another one? Did you ever hear this one? Until finally we're like, no, we don't want to hear any more Santa jokes. And then she like, she comes in with some more stuff. Like, well, would you like to hear a story? I'm like, dude, okay. Like you, you had me charmed for a moment. And then you just, you had to go too far. Like, so you're two seconds away from getting unplugged. <laughs> That's, that is a fact. So it sounds like you had a similar uh, situation. They, they seem to be testing the waters of adding in, um, I guess, I guess you could try to say proactive uh, assistance. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. They're like selling these things at break even or at a loss a lot of times. And because they're trying to get a foothold. And so once they get a foothold, then like now, how do we expand how much, how, how we can make money with these things. Right. And at that point, I'll just like chuck them on the trash, honestly, because I don't it's like, um, if you're going to be annoying, then it's one thing if I can like, I, have you set a timer? Have you, you know, I don't know. What is it? What the hell do I do? What the hell does she do for me? I can't think of it. Setting timers. Uh, what else does she do? <laughs> Plays music. Right. But I've got a couple of different ways to play music. Oh, she does turn the oven on now. We we recently moved to a new house and the new house was like, you know, dingus enabled. And so we were able to, I can now have Alexa turn on my oven to 400 degrees um, using my voice, which is kind of nice. But not if she asked me, would you like a recipe to put in that 400 degrees? Let me recommend some recipes for you. Then I'm going to like unplug her. Larry, I put prime rib in your shopping cart. You can have it delivered with Amazon Prime now, fresh, extreme delivered. Yep. It is the world's most invasive cooking timer. <laughs> so so not a fan of the uh, pro proactive extra helpful mode. No, huh? no. I want certain things that it does and that's it. I don't need the extra commentary or the extra helpfulness because it's not helpful. Yeah, like I said, she almost had me for, you know, just a, a second there with it's Christmas Eve and I inquired as to Santa's location. And so maybe that's an opportunity for, you know, my in-home narc gadget to, uh, you know, <laughs> offer me some holiday cheer, um, but quickly blew right past the boundaries of annoying. Um, and, you know, if she if she starts trying to bring that into every other conversation, I it's got to be hard for the teams trying to, like you say, you know, productize and, and turn profits on it. Um, or for that matter, be helpful, genuinely helpful and anticipate what you need next. But uh, that, that wasn't it. No. <laughs> if you found this show useful, usable, and desirable, please share a quick review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
The reviews help people find the show, and we appreciate your help. And remember, UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show and what you're talking about in your practice. I'm Larry King, that's L- at LA King, and Roman is at Studentman. And thank you for listening. Pamela likes to talk to Roman on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's disturbing. <laughs>